Welcome to the Sports Card Lessons Podcast with your host, Big Ken, a retired teacher bringing you lessons each week he's learned in the hobby by taking you behind the table and inside the mind of a dealer and a collector. Sit back and relax. There won't be a test. The only thing being graded here is the cards. Welcome to the Sports Card Lesson Podcast. I'm your host, Big Ken. Whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on a streaming service, please like, subscribe, and hit that notification bell, and you'll be notified whenever I drop any new content. Welcome, and thanks for being here. Welcome, everyone. Happy Thursday. i uh, got a great episode for you today, as promised, uh, collaboration with Sports Card Therapist. Uh, it was a great episode, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, here we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sports Card Therapist and Sports Card Lessons podcast. We are doing another joint episode. And uh, my name is Rob, your Sports Card Therapist. And uh, Ken, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Rob. Or should I say Rob, Rob, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's great is you are the only one that does that. And you, you'd figure that there'd be more people that do. But, yeah, you're the only one that's done it and has done it consistently. Yeah, well. What, what, what are close friends for, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, you know, we're we're headed toward the end of the week. And, uh, you know, we have big plans for this weekend that we'll definitely touch on. We'll definitely talk about. But um, as far as everything else, man, how's everything going with you? How's everything like outside of the hobby going for, with you? Uh, yeah, everything's going great. You know, I just moved. You know, we're all settled into the new house now. And, uh, you know, my little business is good. I played a little golf today. We had, all, what, 70 degree weather today. So, you know, it's uh, it's good to be me right now. Yeah, man. You, man? yeah I, know, no. I know. I know you are a busy bro. Like busy, it doesn't even describe what your days look like. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, man. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, I'm going to be on John Newman's podcast tomorrow uh, at the time of this airing, Sports Card Nation, and and he he said I'm the busiest guy in the hobby, and I'm like. I think there's probably some busier guys like at like a higher level, like hobby wise. But yeah, I mean, I, th I don't think I have any more on my plate than the average person, than the average 40 year old man in the hobby does. You know what I mean? Like married kids, job, hobby, uh, content, you know, and, and, and I think what, what makes my life so crazy and, and, and good crazy is that my hobby does take up a lot of real estate in my life. You know what I mean? And, and I try not to let it take away any time from my family, but it definitely has cut. I've had to cut out other areas of my life to make room for the hobby because there's only, you know, we only have a hundred percent, you know, and, and the hobby requires a big chunk of that. I think, especially when you're really in it the way that we are and the way that I think if you're listening to this podcast, the way that these, uh, the listeners are too. Yeah. Well, you have a young family. So right there, I mean, and I know I was there, it was years ago, but I was there and I know, I mean, when you have small kids, it's, you know, a hundred percent focused on them all the time. So finding time and that's why, and I've talked about this, finding time to, to, to be in the hobby 
you know, for most people, they when they started having kids and stuff, they just kind of stepped out of the hobby because it just became too much for them. And then when their kids got a little older, they started bringing their kids and getting back into the hobby. So you're, you know, you're you're one of those people who are doing it with young kids at home. So yeah, definitely a salute, shout out to you, you know, because I don't know how many people could actually, you know, juggle both. Yeah, and and I appreciate that, man. Um, so you know, I just kind of started up, you know, as you know, a little side, a little side project with uh, Dustin, sports car dad. You know, we started up a little little show called Dinged Corners, and we're th three episodes in, and uh, and uh, over the last week or so, we talked about, um, you know, about the hobby and how. I think a big part of the reason why we collect is because it's something that we actually do have control over, whereas like 99% of our life we just don't have control over right we don't have control over how our kids behave we don't have and we obviously you know we can instill discipline and we can do this and that and and try try our best but at the end of the day you know i have no control over what my wife's going to say how she's going to act um what my boss is going to say all those kind of things so yeah. With the hobby, though, we 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 generally have full control over what we do in the hobby and how we collect. You know, I mean, we we really curate our collection to the way that we like it. And if there's something a little bit off about our collection, then we can kind of, you know, curate it some more. We can we can sell things, trade things away and work toward bigger goals. So. That's it's. I think that's another huge part of the hobby that has such an appeal on top of everything else on top of yeah. everything else. Part of it is like, Hey, this is actually something that we can control for the most part. We can't control the market, but we can control what our collection looks like. Yeah. And it's also a little bit of an escape too, right? It gives us something to escape to it kind of it, it creates balance in our life you know we're not stuck doing one thing all the time it gives us something to look forward to you know and then you know when, when we when we're in the hobby and we're doing those things in the hobby you're a different person right i mean all the things you do in the hobby now you're you're a sports card therapist right but when you're at home with your family your dad and rob and you're a husband and and a son and all that other stuff but when you jump into the hobby you, you know you're doing something else and a lot of times those people don't understand that like if your family is not involved in the hobby they don't understand the things that you're doing even though you tell them you know unless they're they're following along and they're watching these podcasts and they're watching these lives and they get a better understanding of what you're doing if not they they really don't you know understand you know, how much you're doing and especially you, right? Especially you, because you have really stretched yourself thin out there with so many other projects you know, a lot of there's big projects, small projects, but a lot of things you're doing. Um, I mean, I, I could probably count five different projects you work on, right. That you're doing, you know, you're creating content for doing, and each one has to be a little different and each one you have to come up with something new every week or almost something new every week. Right. So it's a lot of work. Yeah. And, uh, it is. And you know what, you know, what's crazy is I don't even look at, I don't even look at it like that for myself. But when I look at you, sometimes I wonder, I'm like, how does he come up with so many topics for his show? How does Ken come up with so many topics? Um, and I know I'm, I'm at double the amount of episodes you've put out, but at the same time, almost 50% of those episodes have been with guests. 
So it's yeah. like, so in re, and you, you very rarely have had guests, you know, I mean, if you take me out of the equation, maybe you've had 10 guests on ever. So, um, so it's weird how we can see things in others that we really can't see in ourselves. You know what I mean? Um, so whether if that's personal habits, whether if that's collecting, and I think, you know, when, I think you, you can sometimes start to see that a little bit when, um, when you start trying to make deals and transactions with people in the hobby, right? Like you could be friends with someone, but the moment you start maybe looking to make a deal with them, that's almost like you start to see them in a totally different light. <laughs> Absolutely. And you don't know how many times that I wanted to do an episode just on that. And, and I just felt like I, you know, I might hurt feelings. Right? You don't want just, like ruin. You don't want to ruin a couple friendships, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, so and and it's almost easier, you know, like if you've got a good friendship in the hobby, just don't do a deal with them, right? And if and if you do do a deal with them, just be like, look, let me just give you this, and then someday if you have something that I want, you could just give it. You know, like some. I don't know. It's just it. It's it's interesting. People change when when you know you start to want to do. Uh, want to do a deal and there's cash on the table and we're talking comps and all this other stuff, people become a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt, man. And, uh, you know, so we're live on YouTube right now and, um, some comments coming in. Mike Petty says, Rob is the hardest working man in show business. Mike, I appreciate you, man. You're one of the hardest listeners in show business for sure, man. And it takes, uh, it takes a dedicated mind, I think, to consume content as well. You know what I mean? It, it, you know, there might be a little bit more that goes into it on the back end, like when you're creating the content and you're, you're doing shows and stuff, but, but I mean, the listeners, the audience is, is putting in almost as much time consuming the content as we are with making it. So shout out to all the listeners and watchers for sure. And, and I'm kind of curious to what listeners, um, would say uh, about my next thing, my, the next thing I'm going to say. So, so Ken, you and I have been like, you know, tight as tight as glue for two years in the hobby now, right? For two years. And we have never made a deal. We've never even started negotiations for a deal. No, nope. we've never, we've never started negotiations for a deal. And I'm nope. curious as to like, Maybe why that is like, I think I know why that is, but I'm not a hundred percent sure because I do know when we were talking a little bit about this beforehand that we really started out in the same lanes. Like we, we, it felt like we were in the same lanes. Like I definitely had my toe in another lane. You definitely had your toe maybe in another lane, but, but our planters foot, you know, the foot that we, that we, that we put all our weight on when we swing, um, that foot was in the same lane. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's interesting. You were in the hobby, right? And you were kind of my mentor. Or I not, not kind of. You were my mentor. I kind of jumped in, and you know, we talked uh, a lot. And and you know, when I was looking for information, I was going for you, going to you. And you know, we, I was collecting a lot of the same stuff you were. Now, I really wasn't into basketball and baseball, and you were, you know, so probably a lot of football. And then I started you know, getting involved in other sports, a little wrestling, a little tennis, you know, some boxing, you know, just different things like that, kind of trying to find, you know, what made me happy, what, what, you know, gave me that feeling of, of joy and the hobby. And, 
really after what a year a little over a year right we kind of you know our collecting kind of took two separate paths you know you you started you know going with all the vintage stuff and i was still even at that time i was still prospecting and i still do you know somewhat prospecting today but i'm i'm starting to buy more uh you know more and more you know of, of goats but you know when when we were we were talking about doing this and talking about you know this i was thinking to myself you know before the hobby i I spent time at the casinos. I used to like to go to the casino all the time. And I think that kind of that gambling mentality, you know, I brought it to the hobby where you could care less about, you know, a casino or gambling or things like that. You're, you're really just, really just about a sure thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said, Ben. Um, the, the most gambling I do is, um, you know, we take part in the same, lottery pool in the same lotto pool that's you know other than that and the thing is too without that club i have never bought tickets for myself before never in my life can i ever remember buying lottery tickets unless it was for some sort of okay we're we're gonna pitch in unless i was pitching in with someone else i don't ever remember buying tickets and um and yeah the casinos i just it just doesn't do it for me. You know, I I've gone to plenty of concerts and um, plenty of concerts and had to walk right through the casino showroom floor and just walk past every single, you know, there was even once or twice where, where, you know, I, I went to a concert and I stopped and I put $20 in a, um, in a slot machine. And I realized that the only reason why I did that was to say that I did that. Like I didn't even I didn't even want to. I just wanted to be able to say, yeah, you know, I went to the show, put 20 bucks in a slot machine like but like I got no joy out of it at all. So, um you know, even thinking back to and 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 you you talk about how, you know, you're you're doing the prospecting thing but you're moving more toward goats. I mean, thinking about some of the, you know, some of the hockey players that you've been collecting, right? Like none of them are really vintage, you know, I know you picked up a Gretzky rookie recently, but none of them are really vintage, but they are goat material. You know, they're, they're, um, um, Alexander Ovechkin, you know, Connor McDavid, um, you know, you're talking about Gretzky, obviously, I guess you can consider his rookie, um, vintage because it's 79. Um, you know, you're, you're dipping your toe into the Mike Tyson thing and not really dipping your toe. You've jumped in with the Mike Tyson thing. You're the biggest Mike Tyson collector I know. So, you know, it's like, you're going for the goats too, but you're just doing it in a more modern kind of way. You're, it seems like you're collecting the players who you and and the athletes who you've really enjoyed watching and, and have direct connections with as far as memories. Yeah. And you know what I realized in this hobby too, is the cards that I really like are expensive, right? So, you know, (laughs) I, I, the ones that, the ones that I want, you know, aren't, aren't cheap. So, you know, and, and I talk about this on my podcast, right? So I, I, I'm out there, the money I'm making, you know, at shows is I'm reinvesting into my PC, right? And uh, I, I, th- I think what happens is in my mindset is I say, okay, I want to put all these things on my table because I think they'll sell, right? And they're not necessarily, or in my case, it's not necessarily things that I want to collect. Some of them are, but... Um, and and I I start filling it up and I get to a point like I'm at now, like I'm like, okay, 
I need to put the brakes on and start selling some of this stuff, right? Because I have so much stuff and I'm like, okay. And, you know, there's a few things I have my eye on as far as cards. And I say, okay, I want these cards. So I got to start moving other things in order to fund, you know, the, the larger PC purchases. And uh, I think that's where we differ a lot too. I mean, because I'm talking to you and you said, I only have so many things in my case now. And I'm, I'm saying I have too many things in my case. Like I... I I, I spend all this time during the week and I'm looking and, you know, on the weekends when we don't have shows, I'm at different shows and I'm shopping and I'm buying things. I'm like, this is good. That's good. And, you know, at some point I have to start moving some of these things. Yeah. And, you know, I think really from the jump and, and, you know, I, you know, this is really what my podcast and my show has been about as I'm, you know, what I'm, I want to look real quick and see what the two-year anniversary is now that i'm thinking about it uh, um now that i'm thinking about it and actually saying it out loud um as you can see we don't prepare for these we don't prepare for <laughs> I, these I at all. by one year in march okay nice man nice yeah. congrats on that um so Thanks. may 19th so may 19th will be my the two-year anniversary of episode one dropping <clears throat> so so really from the jump from episode one, I've talked about and how my goal is, is always to consolidate and level up, consolidate and level up. Um, so it, it really is like this fine line between, I, I do want to find, first of all, I don't want to waste money on cards. If, if I, if I am buying something, I want to, I want to be near certain it's going to be something that if everything went to zero, I would be happy to own or B I want to make damn certain it is liquid. I don't want to take a chance on. And I think that's why I don't like prospecting because I, I want to make sure what I'm buying, if I had to move it or to fund a bigger piece, I want to know for a fact I can move it. So like I just pulled these cards out of my case real quick. So these are cards that when I bought them, I was happy I bought them. I was happy to own them. But now I know I could move them tonight if I wanted to. And these are, you know, vintage cards. So it's like a 52 Phil Rizzuto, a 73 Hank Aaron, a 69 Tops Clemente, a 66 Tops um, Roberto Clemente. So all PSA graded. So I know that with relative certainty that I could get for these cards probably within like 10% of what I paid for them. You know what I mean? So if I paid a hundred dollars for the card, I I'm quite certain I could sell it for 90. Maybe I could sell it for 110, 120, you know, maybe 130, you know. Um but I am all about consolidating and leveling up. And I think that's why I'm always running out of things to put in my case at shows because I'm buying these cards that I know that I love them or I know people are going to love them. So when I look at a $5,000 card that um, my guy Dave at Extraordinary Cards has, when I look at a $5,000 card, I'm like, you know, I don't have 5K in cash, uh, you know, handy right now, but I have 2K in cash. Let me see if I could throw together or if he could pick out a package of cards that I have that he would take for the rest to make up the rest. So I think that's why I, I am always just kind of like running out of cards to put in my case when I set up at shows because I'm just always leveling up. I'm always trying to funnel up. I'm always trying to move up into bigger and better cards. Whereas I think your traditional dealer does both. Your traditional dealer, if it makes sense, 
they'll go up into the bigger card. But oftentimes, if it makes sense, they will trade down and they'll take 10 cards for their one big card because it just makes sense for them. And that's not something that I really ever do because I always want the big card. I never want the smaller cards. Yeah. Once, once I traded down that you'll probably remember the Josh Allen hand auto in Long Island. Red wave. Yep. Yep. No, actually it was in New York city. It was at the New York city. Show okay. in New, New York city. New York yeah, city. Yeah. I, that was the only time I ever traded down. I've always traded up and I'm okay. I'm okay. Throwing in cards that I know that I've sat on. So I'm, you know, my second year into this, you know, I know football cards that I have that after kickoffs, you know, the football, the kickoff season, prices are going down. And it'll sit in my case maybe for another month or two, but then I just put them out, take them out, and I'll put them in this case behind me, or I'll throw them in the closet because I know I'm just going to lose money on it. And now when I come into year two, when I still have those same cards, I'm like, okay, if I've got a deal going that I can, I don't mind throwing one of those two cards in to to, to seal a deal, you know. And that's kind of where my where I've just stepped up to, where I have you know a box of cards that, you know, that at some point. I paid money and they had value to them and they still have value today, but there may not be cards. People are, you know, rushing out to buy. Right. But other dealers will see these cards saying, Hey, I know that has value. And then if I can, if I can, you know, say, look, I'll give you cash and these cards, you know, can we come up with a deal? And I don't mind throwing those in and taking a little bit of an L on those cards. You know, if, if I can get the deal done to get the bigger card, like you're saying that is completely liquid. And, 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 you know, learning from you and just learning from the hobby. I mean, the bigger cards that I have in my case now and that I want to have in my case, are I, I just want them to all be liquid. I want them to be where I could say, I really want to move something. I really want to do something. I want to buy something. I can pull one of those cards out, you know, and I could sell it tomorrow. Or sell it so today, what's your right? end game? Do you have an end game? Because you're saying like, you only want cards in your case that you know are liquid. What well, is I, your end game? Like, what is it that you're working toward? So what I'm working towards is not only cards that are liquid in my case, but cards that are very low pop, right? Not, not necessarily. There's, there's a bunch of comps on number one and number two. My biggest end game is not to have cards in my case that everybody else has in a room when I set up at a show. Because the worst thing is when somebody comes up and says, you know, how much is this card? And they get your price and you know there's 10 or 12 or 15 more of those same cards in that room. They're probably never going to come back and buy it from you. So if I can put cards in my case that are very low pop and I know I'm the only guy in this room with that card. So if somebody wants to buy that card, this is where they're going to buy it. Right. So that's that's kind of my end game, being that kind of dealer where people are going to come to me and say he always has great cards. They're low pop. They're high end. And, you know, I know a couple of dealers like that. And when I go to shows, I get excited to see them because that's I'm the guy buying some of those cards from them. And I and I understand what their philosophy is on their cases and their business. And and that's kind of something I want to emulate. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's a great plan. And, and I, I guess really, you know, when it comes to either setting up at shows or really just having your collection, who doesn't want a ton of high end, like great cards. And I'm not saying like high end Josh Allen and Justin Herberts. I'm saying like, like if what you collect is um, Star Trek cards, who doesn't want the Star Trek Super Fractor one of one, 
you know, auto. If you collect Mickey Mantle, who doesn't want a 52 tops Mickey Mantle? So I, I think for the, I think 99% of the hobby that is, you know, to their goal is to really kind of curate a collection that has value, has meaning and um, something that you can look at and be proud of. Uh, but what I will say is um, that could be a slippery slope though. Like be, when you are looking at certain guys' cases that just have these monster cards in there and they're great and they're high-end and they're liquid, like like more than likely those guys were in the hobby for years and they they got card rich when the pandemic came, you know. So these aren't guys that just got into the hobby, got back into the hobby a few years ago, you know. So I think in order for if, if that is your goal, then you have to play the long game because you have to kind of ride out, you know, what the market's doing now. And even if the market stays the way it is now, which is still up compared to like 2018, but, you know, ride this out, continue to um, curate your uh, inventory, your collection, continue to do all that. And then when the big when the big boom comes, whether if it's two years from now or 10 years from now, you'll be ready with with some good inventory and you can do some of the things that these guys did a few years ago yeah absolutely i mean we we i learned that i shouldn't say we i learned that you know at last year's national when you're talking about the 52 mantle and things like that i mean that was kind of the buzz at national because there was that one at auction but how many other 52 mantles were around that room you know, during national last year, and they were selling for upwards of fifty, sixty thousand dollars. I mean, these people just didn't end up with these cards. They weren't buying these cards to flip these cards. These guys have been sitting on these cards for a while, right? And now was the time to move the, move these cards. And well, yeah, you're at. I'll tell you what it did seem like was at national. Um, I definitely saw a bunch of fifty-two tops mantles floating around. Same thing with the Jordan star card, you know, the star rookie, because that was also all the buzz because PSA had just started grading star cards. Um, and I think like what you're saying is, is part true, right? That, that a lot of these 52 mantles and, and 84 Jordan star rookies were sitting in collections for years. And it seemed like they were both kind of getting their moment in the sun, like right around the same time. So they came out of collections. And then what I started seeing was, was like high end flippers, just basically playing hot potato with them. It's like one high end flipper. It's like multiple flippers that we, that we both know. We're like, Oh, Hey, I just picked up this 52 tops mantle. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I paid 38 K cash for it because I had, you know, the cash in my PayPal, you know, I paid 38 K for it. And then the high end flipper right next to us is like, okay, let's make a deal for that. I'm, you know, I'll give you 42 for it, part cash, part trade. And the guy's like, yeah, I'll take 42 for it, you know? And then all of a sudden he hot potatoes it to him. And then now this guy is like, okay, now I got this 52 tops man. Let me see if I can get 45 for it, you know? And then, and then they just continue to kind of work their way up that way. That's at least the way I saw it. You know, I think like the way that you described it is like a nice fairy tale way of being like, oh, they were in someone's collection. And then a little boy came up to the table with his father and then they saw it and they pointed at it through through the case. And they said, but the way I saw it was I just saw a lot of high end dealers playing hot potato with these like big cards. And eventually they're definitely going to end up in someone's forever collection. Right. It's going to be someone's forever card. Um and I'm not knocking flippers because flippers truly like lubricate the pipes of the hobby 
that get cards zinging across the world, across the country, through the mail, you know, until until it does end up winding up in a in a collector's hands. That's like, okay, this is going to be my forever card. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, I I interviewed Brian Dwyer, right? REI, uh, Robert Edward Auctions, and and you know, he was Look at you name about, dropping. He was talking Look at you about name dropping. He was talking about, uh, you know, all these collections that they were just finding, right? You know, just finding that people were just calling in. Somebody died. Somebody willed them to them, you know, things like that. And and again, these things that were, weren't just bought. So I understand the, the hot potato game. But I think for the most part and, and for a lot of those cards, you know, that they were all they all started coming out of the woodwork after the pandemic because people knew the prices were up on them. Yeah. Right? And they knew there was some great value uh in those cards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Um you know, I got to tell you something that I think I really want to pull the trigger on. I'm not sure though. Um but I know they're going to make my cards look much nicer and I'm I'm kind of getting veering off here. What are those um cases called again that Luke sells? Oh, slab mags slab mags and 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 i love how they come in different colors you know i love how you know and you can kind of color match them you know because i have like all my cards i have all my cards like in these little black leather things like my 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 favorite cards i have in these things you know yeah. uh but like i think i i want to probably buy like 10 10 slab mags i feel it, like it, love these and, things and, I know you do. I know you, you, you have the slab mags, but yeah, I tell yeah. you, it's, it's been on my mind so much. But the thing is like, when it comes to like my, my hobby money, my card money, I can't see myself spending like $200 on 10 slab mags. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I'd much rather buy a card. I would much rather yeah. buy a card. You know, when I first, when I first bought them uh, and people bought the card that, that was in it, I let it go. And, and I've really gotten to a point now where when I sell the card, I open it up and they're like, well, well wait a minute. I'm like, <laughs> if you want it, it's $20 more, but I'm keeping the cases now, you know, so I'm just recycling them, you know, trying to recycle them in, in, into, you know, newer pickups and, and new cards. Yeah. I mean, it's, oh, not yeah. That it's not that they're expensive, you know, but you're right. If you, you know, you buy 10 of them, it's, you know, $200. And I think, you know, they had the inventory and then they have these new ones that are coming out that are at 25 right so if you don't get the old inventory and you're in the new inventory you're at even five dollars more you know per so it, the card has to be worth it to me it just has to be a card that you really want to put in there and just you know keep in as good shape as you possibly can yeah yeah definitely man um so yeah we're already at the 30 minute mark let's let's talk for a minute kind of segue out of of what the topic is let's talk about uh this weekend so you know we have the um springfield show right yeah. we have the springfield show but we also have the hall of fame saturday night and that's that's the big boy that's the big thing that you know i'm i'm really looking forward to so um about six months ago, I hosted a panel discussion with some um, collectors and dealers at the Hall of Fame on one of their uh, one of their stages, and um, 
you know, it was a great time. Um, it was unbelievable after that, you know, we did trade night, um, on, uh, I think it's called center court at, at the hall of fame. And, uh, this Saturday, April 8th, we're doing the same thing, but we have a much bigger names in the hobby that are going to be on the panel. So I'm hosting it. I'm emceeing it. You are going to be on the panel. So speaking Ken, of big names, <laughs> speaking of big names, big Ken, capital K, capital E, capital N. Um, you know, we have uh, who else? So we have Chris Costa from Card Vault. We have Mike Kantz, and he's from MC Sports Cards on eBay, which is one of the top sports cards uh, eBay consignment shops. Uh, we have Hobby Shark, who's turned into like one of the biggest hobby watchdogs in the hobby now. We have um, John Newman from Sports Card Nation. We have Jonathan, who is basketball card guy. And um, who's the sixth guy? Who am I forgetting? I think thought that was everybody. You're right. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so six guys on the panel at the Hall of Fame. That's going to be from six to seven p.m. And then immediately after the panel discussions over at seven p.m., uh, we're doing a trade night. So there's going to be a huge trade night at the NBA Hall of Fame. How freaking cool is that? That's unbelievable. And and I and I you know I talked about this the last time we talked about doing the the trade night there and you know because we live so close to the Hall of Fame. Right. It's like, yeah, it's right up the street. But for people who live, you know, like I dream about going, you know, to the NFL Hall of Fame. Right. So it's not up the street for me. But if someone would be saying there was a trade night there, I'd be like, oh, my God, that's unbelievable. Right. So, yeah, it's it, it's a big deal. It, it really is a big deal. And, and just what uh, the perfect location. Right. For not only for a panel, but a trade night at the Basketball Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah, so so this weekend, Saturday, April 8th, 2023, in Springfield at the Mass Mutual Center from 8 to 5, I believe, from 8 a.m. to nine. 5 p.m. 9, nine to but five. I think they're I think they're doing early bird, but we'll let's just say nine. So from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. is uh the New England card show. It's like 200 tables, 200 vendors, dealers. You and I were always set up right in front. So we're gonna be there front and center, um, talking to people, shaking hands, kissing babies, doing all that. Um selling cards, great uh, deals. Selling <laughs> cards. Uh Ken has some great deals. Me, I'm high on everything. Um <laughs> <laughs> At least you admit. listen listen i like you know i i even said to you a couple months ago i said um right and i'm, I'm paraphrasing here but i said you know what i'm like I, it's not that i'm overdoing shows and setting up it's just that i don't want to move any of my cards like i'm at the point now where where i'm not enjoying selling cards anymore what i enjoy most is sitting there and and seeing people and talking and and the and, and just like communicating with people and and talking cards all right because it's more than talking sports like you know like we could talk sports all day and but it's when you when you really kind of narrow it down from talking sports to talking sports cards that's what i love i i really really love talking sports cards and where better to do that than at a card show and I, I do truly believe if you want to know, if you want to have your finger on the pulse of the hobby, you have to do it at shows, 
right? Like I can't do it from home watching content because the guy I'm watching on YouTube or listening to on a podcast, he might not have any idea what he's talking about. He might just be going off what he heard from someone else. So I know that when the hobby numbers were down, right? Like six months ago, nine months ago, when, when the hobby felt like, like things were down and had really screeched to like, I don't want to say a halt, but had slowed down. We felt that at shows, we, we could tell a drastic difference Mm -hmm. between shows six months before and shows then we, we saw it night and day, you know? So I I think if you really want to know what the mood of the hobby is, you have to go to shows. In my opinion, you have to go to national. You have to go to the mint collective. I didn't go to the mint collective, but like, you got to go to shows like that. You know, you, and, and even if not go to your local show, go to a local show and, and, and check out the vibes, walk the room, bring your cards. You don't even have to go there to spend money, go there to transact, go there to conversate. Hmm. You know, some of the cards I have in my case, I'm never going to sell them, but I love when people come up and want to talk about them. I mean, that's that's some some of the best conversation you have when somebody comes up and like a Mike Tyson card and they want to talk about Mike, you know, like a memory or, you know, maybe another card or pull a card out of their case to say, wow, look at this. Right. And uh, yeah, that's love setting up at shows, loving being behind the table and just talk to the people that come through. Um you know, I like to sell things too, but if it was just about the conversation, I, I, I'd still be pretty happy. Yeah. And you know, so I, I've learned so much from you over these last couple of years and, and your podcast. I mean, I feel like every, every podcast episode of yours, I feel like is truly a lesson and, and truly you, you really live by, um, what the title of the episode is me on the other hand, I feel like some episodes of sports card therapists, I'm, I'm literally just kind of like rambling and they're not as thought out maybe as yours are. They're more, they're more like feeling based and I'm not saying yours isn't, but, but I'm trying to give you a compliment here and I'm like talking I, about I, mine. I, I, absolutely so, appreciate the compliment and I'm going to give, throw a comp- compliment right back at you. You know, so so for me, you know, being a teacher, right, the whole thing I feel has to have structure and, you know, so, all planning and setting it up and, you know, the bullet points and everything else where you I mean, you get on, you're talking from the heart. Right. But you're talking you're doing as much for the hobby as I am what you're talking about. Right. Because we both see things differently and we both present differently. Right. You, you see it differently and you're coming, even though you say I'm rambling, you're delivering a lesson too. whether you know it or not, you're delivering a lesson to people are learning from what you're saying and what you're talking about. Just we, our delivery is just different, right? Our setup is different, but at the end of the day, we're both with our content. We're both, you know, just trying to teach people. Yeah. And, and yeah, and I appreciate that, man. And, and, you know, like, so the point I was going to make is when one of the biggest things I've learned, like there's like really five main points that I, I feel like I always reference on my show about you and things I've learned from you and your podcast. And one of these things is this, right. Is and you put it so like eloquently, it was, it was phenomenal. You talked about how when you're selling cards and you're, and you're selling a card and you know, when you're set up, the goal usually typically is to sell a card and, and to, and to transact and to, you know, do all those kind of things. But 
you had mentioned like selling a specific card and how you had really started to tell that story like 10 or 15 different times about how you acquired the card, what the card kind of meant to you, why it was that you wanted it. And, and you really had like your, the story down pat because it was a true story. You talked about why you got it and what it meant to you and this, that, and the third. And, and finally, when that card sold, it was kind of like bittersweet for you because you realized that you're never going to be able to tell that story again. That's the last time you're ever going to tell that story. And I just got chills as I said that um, because I look at my collection, I look at my cards and every single card in my collection, I feel like has one of these stories attached to it. And it's so crazy because like I'm looking at, you know, my Zion case right now and I probably have about 80 cards in there and I'm serious. I probably have 80 different stories, yeah. 80 different stories that can go with that. And, and all of them are from the heart and all of them. I remember every detail. I remember every emotion, every thought I had when I was making that purchase. Um, so, and, yeah. And the crazy yeah. thing is it doesn't matter the value of the card because some of the best stories come with a card that could be worth 30, 40 or $50, right? You could be sitting on a $10,000 card and it, it's got a good story, but sometimes so, some of these cards that, you know, you, you never saw it coming, but they came with such a great story. And uh, yeah, you're right. You tell that story and the day that card sells, you know, you, the, the card and the story are gone and, and you hope the person who bought it remembers the story and could say to somebody else, be like, yeah, I bought it from this crackpot down here, but look, he had this whole story for this car. You know, you never know. You never know where, yeah. where, where it goes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so I'm looking at this card right now. It's literally right on top of my pile right here. So I'm just going to grab it. And, and if you don't mind, humor me for a moment with, with the story. So, so this is the, um, and it's hard to kind of tell with the green screen. It almost like blocks out, but it's the 1972 tops, Dr. J rookie. So it's a Julius Irving rookie. Okay. And it's an on-card auto and it's an auto grade of a 10 and he signed it. And the inscription is HOF 93, Hall of Fame 1993. And this card is extremely significant to me for a few reasons. This is the first Dr. J rookie I've ever owned. This is one of the most iconic sports cards of all time. It's more than likely in the top 10 most iconic basketball cards of all time. Uh, he's an absolute goat. And I could remember being at a show in New Jersey and Tony from Cousins Collectibles actually came up from Philly to set up with us, right? So he comes up from Philly to set up with us. And I had just by a, a matter of chance made a couple early big sales at the show. I mean, like guys were coming up. I sold my entire, um, my, uh, discount box, you know, with, with all my stuff. So sold my discount box and now I'm sitting on like a couple grand, right? I have a couple grand in my pocket that I didn't have an hour ago. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. Um, burning a hole right through your pocket. <laughs> you know, it burning a hole right through it. So, so I start walking the room, right? So I say, you know what, man, this is burning a hole in my pocket. And, and I know, I know that someone in this room 
just like and this is the reason why i talk about how important it is to go to shows and and if you have cash like participation is required you need to go to shows you need to walk up to dealers you need to look at their case you need to see who is um who has what who is high on their prices who is about even on their prices who is low on their prices whatever the case so i'm walking around and there's a dealer there and he's actually an actor he's a hollywood actor but he also sets up at shows and his name is Adam Mucci and Adam. And that's M U C C I. And, uh, he's, he's been, he's known for like his roles in um, uh, the public enemies movie with Johnny Depp. He, he was in one episode of the Sopranos. He was in a bunch of episodes of boardwalk empire. So in public enemies with uh, Johnny Depp, that's the John Dillinger movie. He, he play, he plays the cop that was beating up John Dillinger's girlfriend to try to get information out of her. So anyway, so I walk up to his table and, him and I, we've gotten to know each other a little bit because we see each other at the New Jersey shows always set up and we've gotten to know each other. And he's like, yeah, you know, I've seen your podcast. I'm like, I want to bring you on the podcast. And I just never have yet. Anyways, I've always loved the cards that he has because it's mostly vintage, but I end up um, asking him what he's asking for the price or what he's asking for the Dr. J and he's high on it. I mean, he's like, almost double what comps are which i i'm fine with that like i get I'm, that doesn't mean i'm gonna buy it but he's he's i know he's probably high in it because he loves the card you know so um i say listen are you willing to come down because look this is what the last one just sold for and he goes you know what i can't get down that low but i would move it for this and it was four hundred dollars over the last comp and i knew i had cash in my pocket i stuck out my hand immediately i said deal so that long-winded story the reason why i say that is because for this one card this is just one of 80 okay but i have a story as detailed if not more detailed than that for every single card i own and if i ever moved this card and maybe i will move up to a to a better higher grade version or maybe i'll move up to a more rare grail card that i'm looking for but I'm really don't want, I, I would have a hole in my heart if I move this because of how much I've come to love this card and also the story that goes with it. Yeah. And where it came from. Yeah. Where it came from. Yeah. Now, you know how I feel with my cards. They're like my kids, right? They <laughs> Except I, your kids hate you. Your kid, your, your cards don't hate you. <laughs> no, listen, you know, I think, I think all parents can identify with that. All our, all our kids hate us. Right. I'm, yeah, I'm kidding yeah. by the way, you know, and I know you go and visit your daughter often and you see the grandkids down in the Carolinas and stuff. And, and do you do that at once every three or four months or twice a year? How often do you do that? Yeah, About every three months, I'll either That's go long. down or, or they'll come up, but. That's awesome. Yeah, and I'm trying to I'm trying to get get to the Carolina Courage game down there. We I have I have two trips planned down there and both both times their the Courage is out of town. So wow. I'm, I'm going to have to plan a third trip just to go down and catch a game. Yeah, yeah. No, that's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah. Um yeah, so let's uh let's wrap up this episode. Um hopefully uh I know we have a bunch of of listeners all around the world, but I mean a bunch of local listeners and I'm sure we're going to be seeing some people at um at the show that, you know, have listened to this episode, right? Cuz there's going to be about 36 hours before the show. Um that this drops before we're setting up. So listen, the code word 
If you're listening to this episode, the code word to come up to us and let us know that you listen to this episode is Dr. J. That's the code word. Dr. J. All you got to say is Dr. J to us and we'll know. Okay. They listen. They, they listen to the episode. I love it. I love it. What a way to yeah get people to come and interact with us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. Um, so yeah, man, Ken, listen, keep up, keep up the incredible work, keep up the great work that you're doing on your podcast. Um, you know, you're doing, you're doing awesome things. You, your, your content is must listen every single week, every single week you are without a doubt. The first episode, the first show that I listen to, um, and and I know for me, this is actually airing. This episode's airing on both of our channels this week, uh, which is pretty cool. And uh, for me, this is episode 162. Uh, this is episode, this will be episode 78 for me. Wow. 78. Man, who would have thought that I would have ever uh, made it this far? And, and, and you're right, coming up with content, you know, week after week, it's... Uh, you know, that's, you know, it, it's all being part of the hobby, though. It's it's what I do. And I love every weekend. You hear me. We talk every weekend. I'm finding a show to go to, you know, yeah. whether a little show, a big show, right here, go there, or I'm set up in a show. And, and I just love getting out, talking to people. And, you know, a lot of what you do on your Sunday night, you know, the PWCC Vintage, you know, not only, you know, are you spotlighting cards, but people are learning from you. Like I'm learning. I go on and, and I learn from you. And when I go out to the shows, the same thing. When I'm out at the shows, I, I uh, you know, I, I, I'm picking up knowledge all the time, even if it's not a direct conversation. Right. Even if I'm just listening to another conversation happening at a table about a player or like, you know, a couple of memories these guys have had, I'm still listening and I'm learning about about that. Um, and the other thing I want to say, man, I, I appreciate all the compliments on the podcast. You know, you were kind of my mentor, mentor, you know, jumping into this. And, um, you know, you're always my fit first listen too. so I think we uh, I think we uh, compliment each other that way. Uh, well, I appreciate that, man. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, sports card therapist, sports card lessons. Um, thank you very much for tuning in and, uh, hopefully we will Doc, see you Dr. Guys. J. Dr. J baby. Dr. Hopefully J. we'll see you guys at the Springfield show. Uh, the new England card show at the mass mutual center will also be at the hall of fame, uh, 6 PM sharp. If you want tickets to that panel discussion, you have to go to the show and come up to our table. We're going to be set up with John Newman from sports card nation as well. So big shout out to John. We're going to have tickets free tickets for the panel discussion, but you have to go to the show in order to get tickets for the panel discussion. So just throwing that out there, come up to us, get your tickets and, um, and that's we, it. We won't have them for hand. We're only getting them at the show. So got to come to the show to get them. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, so I guess that's it guys. So, uh, take care of yourselves and your collection. Uh, yeah. Take care of yourselves and everyone around you. Take care, Rob. All right. You too, man. 